Good morning. We're excited that you have joined us this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. If you're here in the building, we're excited to have you here. Let's stand and worship God together.
take a seat. So glad we can worship together on this beautiful, hot, humid Sunday, and the air conditioner is working. Yay. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you are joining us, and thankful for technology lets us do that. We don't have too many announcements today. Just a reminder for those who are not members but interested in membership with Murray Hill Church, you can do that online or you can do that in person. So if you have any questions or you're interested in membership, shoot us an email at info at murrayhill.church. We would love to answer any questions you have and have you be a part of the Murray Hill family. Um, just a reminder, like I say every week, giving is an active um, part of our worship experience as members of Murray Hill Church. So don't forget, you can text to give. You can go to give.murrayhill.church. You can mail in your giving. Thank you for continuing to give faithfully. It lets us move forward with um, our plans to keep getting back out there into the community and opening the church up again as it's safe with our kids and youth and community outreach opportunities. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I think that's all I have today. Nothing else is up there on the screen. So, in the youth group, I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say this, we're going through a book called Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit by Francis Chan. And this past week, um, we got into a pretty deep discussion about insecurities. And as humans, insecurity seems to be rooted in fear, fear of rejection for being who I am, for speaking up for what I believe in, for dressing a certain way or having a certain stance on life circumstances and how it's easy to get swept up in the fear of what others think about us. And in the book, Francis Chan talks about um, being insecure in our faith and how we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to try to be good enough. We don't have to worry about shame from mistakes that we've made because we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. And we have God who gives us grace and Jesus who offers us forgiveness and love. And so I just wanted to read this little excerpt for you. This is what he says. Serving God and living faithfully can become a constant guilt trip of trying harder and doing better next time. Perhaps you've subconsciously taken the failures from sinful human relationships and imposed those shortcomings onto a perfect God. It is the Holy Spirit who keeps us from this path and gives us confidence so we can enjoy intimacy with our Creator. Though I do not believe God gives us His Spirit solely for personal benefit, it is undeniable that one of the greatest aspects of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit is the intimacy, security, and encouragement he brings us. It is then we can serve as a beloved child rather than a stressed out, guilt-ridden slave. God, I just wanna thank you for your grace. And I wanna thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and that we can come to you without shame, without fear, that we don't have to live in guilt because you love us so much that you have forgiven us. And I just pray these next few minutes that we would be focused on you and your love and, and that love that, that never goes away, the love that can never be outdone by anything that we have done in, in our own uh, human lives. So God, just ask that you be present these next few minutes as we continue worshiping you and that you be honored and you be glorified through the words that we sing and um, through, through our hearts and our voices. And it's in your name that I pray, amen.
about our, our insecurities uh, and how often we allow our brain and our understanding to control um, a relationship with the Creator. Um, I think this song that we're about to sing um, speaks to our um, calling to let it go and let Him have it. Let's stand and sing.
giving you our struggles, giving you our shortcomings, giving you our deficiencies, because we know in your presence, you see us as your child. A child that you're, that you're pouring love out on. And we come this morning on our knees praising you.
Father, we thank you that you have given us the greatest treasure of all, and that is the opportunity to be your children. We're so grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus and so grateful that he gave everything for us so that we could find forgiveness and grace. And Father, I pray that you would help us as your followers to live for you every second of every day. Now, Father, I thank you that in, in a world that has gone mad, that you're still God, and that you're in charge, and that we can trust you. Father, I pray that this morning would be transformational for us, that we would have an encounter with you that gives us a new insight on who you are and how we can trust you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. So it's good to be back with you, and before I get into sermon mode, I want to thank a couple of groups of people. First of all, um, last week, um, there, was, there was no opening my eyes on Sunday morning. It was, it was tough, and uh, we did get tested for, for, the, for uh, the COVID, and, uh, uh, or as they say, or as they should say, I'm going to stick a swab in your nose and scratch the back of your head test. Um, it was so funny because she did one side and she said, would you turn your face so I can do the other side? And I was like, I really don't want to. <laughs> that was so painful. But anyway, we tested negative. Um, but I'm grateful to our staff and to the people. So much flexibility. Uh, Jay found out early, early last Sunday morning that I wasn't going to be here and he jumped in. Although I will say, I was disappointed he didn't shave his head. I saw the razor and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Because I was going to shave my head if I preached that same sermon. <laughs> but, you know, in God's sovereignty, I was sick. So, um, anyway, thanks to everybody for filling in. And, and you will see up here, we have a lot of rotation going on because there's a lot of different things happening. And, and uh, flexibility has been a key word for the last few months. And so... Um, thank you for everybody that's doing that. Also, I want to thank the folks that were here yesterday. Yesterday, it was 175 degrees here, and uh, we were outside working, and got a lot done, and that group of people sacrificed uh, a lot of body weight, I'm sure, um, and maybe some sanity through the process, but uh, the building looks so much better, and so thank you to that group of people. Uh, you guys did a fantastic job. And um, so, yes, and it looks, it looks amazing. And so we're getting close to being done. The next time we'll have another work day, but we'll wait till it's a little cooler and we can have some more, more pits. <laughs> we'll have some more pits. It had to be done. I'm sorry. All right. So anyway, thanks to that group. And uh, it, was, it was a good day yesterday. Uh, it was hot, but it was a good day. So we, we've been going through this journey of Ezekiel, and we're going to skip way forward today. We're not going to go through the whole thing because we'd be doing it for two years. Um, and, and frankly, we'd be really depressed at the end <clears throat> if you read the story of Ezekiel. Uh, but we're going we're to skip forward, um, and, and, and today today's going to be hard for some people to hear. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, whether you're watching online or, or in the room, for some people, what I'm going to talk about is going to be tough, uh, because we're going to talk about God's sovereignty, 
and what that really means. And, um, and, and so the word sovereign, the sovereignty, the idea of sovereignty is that God is in control of history. And that includes world history and your history and my history and world future and your future and my future. And, and so that means a lot of things. And so we're going to process that a little bit and, uh, and hopefully come out a little more trusting on the back end of this. Anyway, so a little, little background here. So in the 590s BC, and I know you keep hearing this, but this is important. Um, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and he took King Jehoiachin, right? Who was 19 years old, the king of Judah. And the leaders of Jerusalem, including Daniel and his three friends, and including Ezekiel, the, the priest, took them back to Babylon in hopes of making them Babylonian and reprogramming them, if you will. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar did that, he then put Jehoiachin's uncle, Zedekiah, as king, as a puppet king. And he was actually 21 years old, right? Now, when you read the story of those two, of Jehoiachin and Zedekiah, the first thing it says is they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Zedekiah, I don't know what he was thinking. He was just placed in power by Nebuchadnezzar, and then he revolted against Nebuchadnezzar, right? Everybody just been taken captive, and he decided to revolt against the guy that did that, all right? Uh, lots of questions there for me, but, but that's what Zedekiah did as a 21-year-old king. So in that then, Nebuchadnezzar was in the process of trying to conquer the world. And so we get to chapter 21. We're skipping way over, and it, it is time for Jerusalem to fall, or getting very close to that, right? So God says something very interesting in the first half of, of chapter 21, and we're going we're gonna to camp out starting with verse 18. But in the first half of 21, God, God says something very strange. He says that Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king that worships false gods, is my sword, he calls King Nebuchadnezzar my sword, right? So Ezekiel, then, in, in, in chapter 21, verse 18, uh, page 847, if you're in the room using the, the Pew Bible, this is, this is what God told Ezekiel to do. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, mark out two roads for the sword of the king of Babylon to take, both starting from the same country. Make a signpost where the road branches off to the city. Mark out one road for the sword to come against Rabbah of the Ammonites and another against Judah and fortified Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in the road at the junction of the two roads to seek an omen. He will cast lots with arrows. He will, he will consult his idols. He will examine the liver. Into his right hand will come the lot for Jerusalem where he is set up Batter, where he is to set up battering rams to give the command to slaughter, to sound the battle cry, to set battering rams against the gates and build a ramp and to erect siege works. It will seem like a false omen to those who have sworn allegiance to him, but he will remind them of their guilt and take them captive. Therefore, it is what the sovereign Lord, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because you people have brought to mind your guilt by your open rebellion, revealing your sins in all that you do, because you have done this, you will be taken captive. 
You profane and wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose time of punishment has reached its climax. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Take off the turban, remove the crown. It will not be as it was. That was to Zedekiah. The the lowly will be exalted and the exalted will be brought low. A ruin, a ruin. I will make it a ruin. The crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. To him I will give it. Perhaps a little prediction of Messiah. All right, so here's what he says to Ezekiel. I want you to go to a crossroads outside the city of Babylon, and I want you to build a signpost. So imagine with me, in our terms, that would look like a sign with two arrows, right? One pointing to Ramah and one pointing to Jerusalem. And so this is what Ezekiel says is going to happen, or what God tells Ezekiel is going to happen. Make this signpost, verse 20, mark out one road for the sword to come against Rabbah of the Ammonites. Now, Rabbah was the capital city of Ammon, and Ammon was a consistent enemy of of Israel. Right? It just, throughout the story, they they couldn't stand each other. They didn't get along well. And there was constant battles between them, etc. And and you see in Ezekiel that Ezekiel actually preaches against Amnon and all of their evil. But but he's standing at the crossroads, and and one sign says to Ramah, and one sign says to Jerusalem. For the king of, in 21, for the king of Babylon will stop at the fork in the road at the junction of the two roads to seek an omen. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar was going to do. He was going to stop and ask his false gods which road to take. He was going to stand at the fork in the road, Ramah this way, Jerusalem this way, and he was going to ask his gods what he was supposed to do. There was going to be a little ceremony to figure out, okay, which capital are we going to conquer? Which direction are we going to go? And so he says he will cast lots with arrows. It was a thing that they did that he would close his eyes and there would be two arrows, one designating Ramah, one designating Jerusalem, and he would pick out Jerusalem. Says he would consult his God, so they would, they would have a worship experience, if you will, uh, worshiping these false gods, and then they would examine the liver. I thought, oh, that's really weird. But basically what they did, would do is they would sacrifice a lamb. And then sacrificing the lamb, they would open it up and they would take out the liver. And based on the coloration of it, it would give them an answer about which direction to go. And notice what God says. He says, 22, in his right hand will come the lot for Jerusalem. So early in the chapter, God had said that Nebuchadnezzar is my sword. He is meeting out my justice. And when he gets to this crossroad and he consults his fake gods, I am going to make sure that he goes to Jerusalem. I am going to make it happen because it's time for Jerusalem to pay the price for what they've done. Now process that with me. That God has decided to use an evil king who worships false gods to accomplish his purposes. Think about that. And so you, you step back and you look at that at the big picture and you realize that we talk about this reality of God being sovereign. And the idea in theology is that Everything that happens in history, in world history and world future, and everything that happens in your history and your future and my history and my future, all of that 
is under the sovereign umbrella of God's control. Now the truth is, we kind of like that when good things happen. Right? We, we show up to work and the boss comes in and says, hey, I got a surprise for you. You're getting a raise today. Or I got a surprise. You're, there's a job that's open. You need to apply for it. And I'm pretty sure you're going to get it. And you do and you do. And it's like, oh, God is so good. And God is so faithful. He's in control of everything. And, and the good stuff happens. It's like, yay, God, you're in charge. And, and it's such a blessing. Well, sometimes things that we consider difficult happen, but it's okay because we can kind of see how God used the difficulty for good stuff, right? I, we were in, uh, in North Carolina, and uh, we were driving down the road, and I had a, um, a tooth just, it was a, a root canal. It just broke my mouth, and it didn't come out. It just was sagging. I was like, oh, that's weird. What is that? And so, and, and you know I'm petrified of the dentist. I, I hate the dentist, and I didn't want to go, but, I mean, my tooth was hanging there, so I had to go. Well, it turned out, that miserable thing, that horrible event for me that happened, it turned out on the other side of my mouth, there was a tooth that was so badly infected that they said, had you waited much longer, this could have been really disastrous because that infection could have gone to your brain. It's like, oh, Darn. I'm glad I came. Here was this bad thing that God used to do a good thing. And so we, it's like, yes, way to go, God. You're in charge. You took something bad and you made it good. And man, sovereignty of God is a powerful, wonderful thing when things go the way we think they should be going. But the truth is, Even when things don't make sense, God's still in control. God's still sovereign. I can't tell you how many times I have stood on this platform for a funeral service, and through tears I'm thinking, God, why this one? You were using them so powerfully. You were doing so many good things through them. Why would you take them? But you see, if, I, if I'm going to believe in the sovereignty of God, I have to accept the bad with the good, at least my definition of bad and good. See, Paul wrote about it in Romans 8.28, and in Romans 8.28, we, we really like that verse when we take it out of context, Okay? So uh, Romans 8, 28, I think I have it here for you. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That sounds awesome, right? So all God's going to bring good stuff, happy times, because I follow him. And, and so we, yeah, God's going to bring good things. But when you read verse 29, it puts it all in a different context. In 29, he said this. Is it up there yet? 29. Okay. For those good God, those, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, the good that God has in mind is for us to become Christ-like. 
And somehow we have convinced ourselves that God's dream for me is for me to be happy. All right, he's not anti-happy, that's not what I'm saying, but that's not his drive for your life. His drive for you is Christ-likeness. And so sometimes the only road to Christ-likeness are things that I don't like. And he has to take us down those roads. See, that's hard for us to realize and we, if you're scripturally honest, you have to come to this conclusion that everything that happens in my life is either caused by God or at the very least allowed by God. And I know that creates all kinds of questions, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of things that we don't understand. And it creates struggles even sometimes of faith and what that means. And, and, but, but the truth is, if I'm going to accept the good that comes with so, what I understand is good in sovereignty, I have to accept the reality that things that I consider bad are part of his sovereignty as well. Brennan Manning, in, in his book, uh, Ruthless Trust, he said this about God. He said, trying to understand God is like trying to catch Niagara Falls in a coffee cup. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know how ridiculous that is. No matter how big your coffee cup is, you're not going to catch Niagara Falls. And so God does things, and God allows things, and God participates in things, and, and God uses evil kings to accomplish his purposes, and it doesn't make sense to us. That's what sovereignty is. It's acknowledging that God's got this. I don't understand it all the time. And the truth is, God's not concerned about me understanding it. He's not concerned about you understanding it. He's concerned about accomplishing his purposes. And sometimes, believe it or not, what I want goes contrary to what he wants. I wish he wouldn't do that. I wish he would consult me or at least send me a text and tell me it's coming. But he didn't do that. And so if I'm going to accept the sovereignty of God, that he's in control of history and where it's headed, including my history, then I have to take what I like and what I don't like. All right? Now, here's the thing. As we look at God's sovereignty, because I, I, honestly, I've struggled many times. I mean, there's stories of all the times that, that God intervened on Israel's behalf and did miraculous savings of the country, etc. But he got to the point where he had enough. And he used an evil king to accomplish his purpose. And what's really interesting about that is this king was worshiping false gods. And what were the Israelite people in trouble for? Worshiping false gods. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had his day. If you read Daniel, uh, he ended up eating grass like a cow. Very interesting story. We can look that one up. But God used this evil person to accomplish his perfect purposes. 
So I look at all of that, and I say, okay, so what's, what's the bottom line here? What, what does that mean for me in my life today? Because the world's really weird right now. Right? Not, not only is it weird because of the pandemic, but it's weird politically. It's, it's weird internationally. There, there's so much bizarre stuff going on. What do I do with this? And I think as a follower of Jesus, the conclusion we have to come to is this. Is that my job is to trust. It's to trust. That's all I got. You see, the Israelite people could not imagine that God would use an evil king to conquer Jerusalem and destroy the temple that was God's home. They, they were like, there's no way that would ever happen. That's God's house. That's where he lives. He would never let an enemy destroy the temple, but that's exactly what he did. Brought it to rubble. And they had to step back from that event and say, what, what happened? And the thing that they had to do is they had to finally look in the mirror and say, Oh, yeah, that's our fault. We ran away from him. He kept calling us back. He kept sending prophets to bring us back, but we just didn't listen. We brought that on ourselves. So he used an evil king to destroy his own house. But I trust that to be the best. I've been processing a lot what's been going on in the past 20 years, trying to, trying to make some sense of it. And, and I don't have a prophecy or a, I didn't have a vision or a specific word of God, but, 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 but I've really been coming to this reality that God is calling his people to trust him again. Go back with me 20 years. 20 years next month. And I think God looked at us as his followers and, and said, oh, you, you trust in the power of your military. Well, watch this. And all of a sudden, on, on September the 11th, all of our feelings of safety were shattered. I reminded him when he told Isaiah, don't trust in chariots and horses. Trust in me. Go forward to 2008. Oh, you, you, you trust in your financial status as a country because you, you have more material wealth than any country in history. So everything is good. Well, watch this. I want you to see and know it could be gone in a snap. You move forward in history, and, and we, we think that, you know, this republic that we have, where there's a peaceful transfer of power, we will always be united and always be connected. God says, well, watch this. I'm going to make you dislike each other. Only in the Civil War has it been worse. Like that. And then we think, we're invincible, medically. 
You know, you look at third world countries and all the things they suffer. We, we got it plain. Well, well watch this. There's going to be a pandemic that starts because of one little event in a place called Wuhan. The pandemic's going to sweep the world. In a moment, everything changed. So again, I, I don't know if that's what God is doing, but, but here's what I want to tell you. As followers of Jesus, in belief in his sovereignty, and in, in belief of him being in charge, something's going on. All of this is happening for a reason. And so I stop and I say, maybe it's time for me to come back as a follower of Jesus and say, you know what, God, I don't get it, but I trust you. I trust you. I'm reminded of the 13th Psalm. David was having some horrible event in his life. We don't know which one. Uh, it was e either when Saul was chasing him or Absalom was chasing him. And he was terrified for his life. And in Psalm 13, he comes to God. It's just six verses. In the first four verses, he complains. He says, God, I'm praying and you're not listening to me. Every day I'm letting you know what's going on and you're not intervening. I don't understand what's happening. And you get the last two verses and he says, but... I trust in your unfailing love. I trust in you because you've been good to me. And I think right now as followers of Jesus, there is this call to trust. Now let's end this on a positive note because all of this is pretty negative up to here. Here's the deal. If God is really sovereign and we really believe that, he's got this. He's got it. Whether it's in, our, in the world the history that's going on, he knows where this is going to end up. And actually, he's given us a clue where it's going to end up too. He knows where it's all headed. And when it comes to our individual journeys, he knows exactly what we're going through. If what he told Job is true, he knows what's go what we're going through. He wasn't surprised by it. He wasn't caught off guard by it. Oh, Doug, you're having a hard time. I didn't know. He knew it was coming. And I can trust him to give me what I need to continue forward if I will live in dependence on him. See, I think right now there is a call for us to run home. Quit depending on outside forces. Quit depending on other things that are not God. But run to him and say, God, I trust you. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why this has to happen, but I trust you. We've been having very disturbing stories come out of Afghanistan this week. Before two weeks ago, Afghanistan was the second fastest growing place for the gospel. 20 years ago, there were no Christians in Afghanistan. Today, there's thousands. It's come to the point that they are finding people who are Christian, and they're taking their phones from them, and they're looking at their phones, and if they find a Bible app on their phone, they kill them on the spot. But here's the emails that are coming out of Afghanistan. They're not emails, please come get us and save us. They're not emails, uh, get us out of here, do whatever you can, send the army back to get us. Their emails are this. Please pray for us. Pray that we would be courageous. Pray that we would be strong. 
because in the next few weeks we're going to meet Jesus face to face. That is ruthless trust. They haven't lost sight of that which is most important. You see, where we live, it's easy to trust the wrong things. Where they are, they get it. This life and what little of it I have left, it's all about King Jesus. And if it costs me my life, that's okay. Because I'm going home. Because I trust. So today, I just want to ask you, what in your life are you having trouble trusting God with? Or maybe you're finding yourself angry with God. Why did you allow this to happen? And I'm going to tell you, the why question will drive you insane when you don't have an answer. So I want to encourage you, if you're stuck on the why question, ask a different question. Ask, how do you want me to respond? Maybe your family's going through a hard time. Maybe you've been affected by the virus and have lost people that you love. Maybe you just, it, it, life just seems to be falling apart for you. God is calling us back to trust. And I think he would say to us, I, I know you think it's chaos, but I got it. You may not like it all, but, but I got it. Because I'm still God. So today, we're called to trust. Even when God doesn't make sense. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are trustworthy. And Lord, we just openly admit that there are times that what you're doing makes absolutely no sense to us. And there are times that that confuses us. There are times that terrifies us. And there are times that it just makes life seem in disarray. But God, I thank you that none of the things that have happened have thrown you off your throne. And Lord, I thank you that even when we go through times that are hard for us, that you're still at work in and around us. So Father, I know there are people in the room, people watching who are in despair. I pray that you would let them experience your presence today in a very powerful way. I pray that inside of them, you would give them a peace and a comfort that lets them know, yeah, you've got this. And Father, I, I pray that we would, down to the core of our being, trust whatever it is you're doing. And Father, I want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan as they are getting ready to go through a horrific journey and Father, I pray that as you always have done in history, that you use their sacrifices to advance your kingdom mightily. May they stand for you and bring you honor and glory. And may those that kill them or hurt them be drawn to you. 
Father, I pray that you bless this time. And I pray if there's anyone here or anyone watching that does not know you, that today you would draw them to yourself. And they would accept the grace that you offer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the beautiful things about God being in charge is he saw the state of humanity. The state where each of us were separated from God because of sin that we had in our lives. Choices that we made that were contrary to who he would have us to be. And that sin separated us from him to the point that we could not be right with him. So he saw that condition and he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He lived a perfect life, was crucified, was buried, and came back to life. And all of that so that the gap between us and God could be bridged. And if you're here today or you're watching and you've never asked Jesus into your life as your forgiver and leader, please know that that sacrifice that Jesus made was for you you but understand what he asks in return is repentance and repentance is not just turning from sin it's much more than that sin's the symptom not the problem the problem is is that we build our lives around ourselves and what Jesus calls us in repentance to do is to go a different way and build our lives around him and in that process, we find forgiveness for sins, but we find a new purpose in life. And, and so the call of Jesus is to come follow me daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's what he asks in return. And if you're here today or watching and you know you need to make that decision, I invite you to make it today. If you're here in this, in this room, we start singing, you can come to the Welcome Center. We can talk about faith and what it means, what it looks like. If you're online, you can text us or email us. But if you sense God calling you to himself, don't resist. It's the creator of the universe saying, I love you and I want you to be mine. Maybe you're here watching and God has put on your heart that you need to be a part of this community of faith officially. You can do that in person or online. Uh, if you're in person, let's talk when we're done. If you're online, same thing, text or email. Maybe today you've had a really hard time trusting. And if that's the case, ask our Heavenly Father to give you the capacity to trust. And He's faithful to deliver. Because in everything that's happened in the world, he never stopped being God. So if you need to respond today, you respond as we stand and worship together.
Thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate you. If you joined us online uh, and if you are in the building, hope that you're able to take something away. Uh, let's go out this week and have a blessed week. We love you guys.